Morning, Calvary. Today's reading will be from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verses 1 through 4, as well as 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 7. If you're using one of our Pew Bibles, it can be found on page 962 and on page 967. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive, I will send those whom you had accredited by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. And now to Second Corinthians, chapter eight, one through seven. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflown in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urged Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among this act of grace, among you this act of grace, but as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Thank you, Andre. If our God is for us, who can be against us? Giving honor to God the Father, now great God and Savior, Jesus Christ the Son, and to the Holy Spirit who applies redemption to us. And also with great thanksgiving and giving honor to Pastor Gerald, our shepherd, here and the elders who kindly and faithfully serve with him to serve us and guide us in the way of Christ. And also to all of you, members, attenders, friends, and guests, good morning. It is, oh wow, it's gonna be paddling uphill today. Wow, that's interesting. Um, it's so good to be among you this morning and to share in the opportunity to be in God's presence with all the saints of God and we give thanks uh, for you. And we're glad that if it is, uh, if you are a guest among us, that you have joined us and we are excited for what God is gonna do for you and with you while you are gathered with the saints here at Calvary Memorial. If you are a guest, I am Eric Redman. I'm one of the associate pastors here, and I am thankful again that you have joined us. Would you join me in prayer before we go into God's word? 
Father, may our boast be in Christ alone, for we bring nothing. May all our joys be found in him. May all our hope be in him. May all our dependency be upon him. May we look forward to the day that we are with the Son, and because of the Son, we are with you, Father, forever. Be kind to us now in the preaching and the hearing of your word. Stir up something among us and in each one of us. Revival-like things, God, deeply convicting things, encouraging things, healing and delivering things, so that all around Chicagoland, all over the world where our partners serve. The name of Jesus Christ may be heard, it may be known, it may be seen in our lives, that there will be people who will call out to the only Savior there is. May people be delivered from false gods and idols and false hopes. May you power our ministry partners today around the world to have boldness and courage and joy. Now, God, exalt the name of Christ in us and through us, and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. When Microsoft co-founder Paul Allen took the philanthropist giving pledge in 2010 to give away at least half of his fortune while he was living, he had a net worth of over $13 billion. In 2012, the Chronicle of Philanthropy named him the most generous living donor in America, for he had given away $372.6 million in 2011. Allen gave away more than $2 billion to philanthropic causes over the next several years. During that same period, he purchased the Seattle Seahawks and the Portland Trailblazers, became an 18.5% stakeholder in DreamWorks, and he opened the Allen Institute for Brain Sciences and the Allen Institute for Artificial Intelligence. Still, when Paul Allen died in 2018, he had a net worth of $20 billion, 48% more than when he signed the pledge. Although his foundation has given away billions since his death, Paul Allen is remembered for noting that it is very difficult to give away $10 billion. I guess he didn't ask you and I what he should do with the money and just. We do not usually think of it being difficult for billionaires to give charitably because they have so much. And like in the case of Paul Allen, many give much to cure diseases, alleviate poverty, fund schools, or initiate important scientific research. However, we do often think of it being hard for average people like most of us to give to relieve the suffering of others 
because relatively speaking, we have little to give, small discretionary incomes, and many mouths in our households to feed. Yet when the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth about charitable giving, he will show that there is an additional type of giving. Followers of Jesus should be eager to do, to do what no non-Christian billionaire would do. In doing so, we should have a different motivation and different goal, one that reflects the working of the grace of God in Christ in our lives. Believers should be willing to excel in giving to relieve the burden of fellow believers and churches experiencing economic hardship. Differently than we do for other causes, because this is part of our participation in the work of the gospel. Paul says in 8.1, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. The apostle sets forth the Christians in Macedonia as an example for the Christians in Corinth to follow because the churches in Macedonia have done something incredible. They have not done it of their own power, but, says Paul, they have done it by a working of God's grace in their lives. We like to think of grace as the way we enter into salvation. For elsewhere, Paul says, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. One does not merit salvation because that is impossible. God is far too holy for anyone to work out their own sinfulness before him. And we don't help Jesus in the work of salvation. Christ alone saves, as the Reformation slogan says. He went to the cross and took the wrath of God alone for us. So salvation is by him giving it to us freely without any help from us. Entrance into salvation is by grace. And if we understand grace as God's merciful empowerment to do for us what we are powerless to do on our own to please him, then we also understand that we live by that same grace from start to finish in this life. Grace has taken the form of the Macedonians excelling in giving to relieve the burdens of believers in Jerusalem while the Macedonian themselves are suffering poverty. They have heard of the suffering of sisters and brothers. They have never met, nor do they even share the same ethnicities. The Macedonians want to help simply out of the shared love for Jesus and the proclamation of the message about him. Today, that would be like believers in Maui or 
Ukraine, who have lost everything, going into their meager supplies from FEMA or the Red Cross and saying to their pastors, please let us send help to our sisters and brothers on the South Carolina coast. We heard they lost everything in last week's storms. What would make the Macedonians do something like that? Paul says it was their joy in Christ. Excelling in relief giving extends from joy in the gospel. As Paul testifies, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. The Macedonians are being afflicted. But in their affliction, there was a Christian math equation that worked out for them. Joy in Jesus plus extreme poverty equals a wealth of generosity. You can see the working of God's grace in that equation. Joy is being satisfied in all God is for us in Jesus. It is that spirit-given, settled sense within that Jesus is enough, regardless of circumstances being great or circumstances being not so good. It is enough for the Macedonians to be called God's own, to have their sins forever forgiven, to have the power of the Spirit of God within to overcome temptation, and to have the promise of God's mercy forever. Deep in their poverty, a poverty probably created by their identity in Christ as they were persecuted and ostracized. Deep in their poverty, the Macedonian believers effectively rose above their social and financial circumstances by a supernaturally empowered embracing of the gospel. The gracious working did not look at their own circumstances to determine what to give to other saints experiencing hardship. Instead, the gracious working look to the love of Jesus for us to make them give in overflowing measure. Anyone can budget to give or give from their wealth to give spontaneously from extreme poverty to help others is a work of Jesus. This is an interesting piece of redemptive history. Redemption touches our pockets because Jesus is redeeming the whole person as he is Lord over every aspect of our lives. Jesus suffered, died, and rose again so that the Corinthians and we would help fellow churches in need of post-recovery economic relief. Christ is glorified in this. The gospel is about rescuing 
poorer brethren too. It is also important to add here that if joy is elusive to you, you might want to talk with your small group leader, a deacon, elder, or ministry staff member about that. At minimum, this allows us to pray with you and to keep praying for you while also discerning if your struggle with joy is simply warfare, bad teaching, or a need for more teaching versus a sign of clinical depression for which we would need to refer you to professional help so joy can be yours too. You should be able to find joy as a believer. And if you are not a believer, we would love to talk to you about a life-sustaining, lasting joy that can be had even in affliction and poverty when one knows Jesus. Paul examines the Macedonians' giving to look at their means and motivation in giving. He finds from them that excelling in relief giving goes beyond ordinary means, emotions, and dedication. He writes in verses 3 through 5, For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints, and this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. The Macedonians' giving excels their means and Paul's expectation by their dedication to the Lord and to the saints. First, they gave exceptionally and eagerly. Each believer in Macedonia, each believing household went into their personal means to see what they could afford to give. Then they went beyond that, saying to themselves, let's do even more. Humanly speaking, they did not have it by any measure to give in this way. They did not have discretionary income, savings or dividends they were willing to do without. Moreover, their giving wasn't from a command prompt or demand by Paul. It was, as Paul says, of their own accord. They didn't have, some of you will remember, that 1970s, 80s, or 90 wall thermometer chart to show incremental growth in giving to Jerusalem. No one shamed them by speaking of what they were going to give and do in front of the whole congregation and then asking others to match it. All the believers in Macedonia sought the Lord and came up with an amount of abundance. They came begging to participate. Please, Paul, let us help. Please don't deny us this opportunity because we are suffering. Please take what we are giving to our other brothers and sisters. Macedonians gave humbly and loyally. 
That is, they gave in dependence on and in fear of the Lord. Already they are saved, so their giving of themselves here, of which Paul speaks, is the working of grace to trust the Lord to provide. It shows that they recognize that 100% of what we have belongs to the Lord, and we are only to be faithful gospel stewards of what we have, of whatever he gives to us. Sometimes that stewardship sees opportunities to give to relieve saints and to do so with overflowing love. Right now, some of you might be feeling inside, Pastor Eric, I have all the joy in the world, but I have loads of debt. Is the Lord asking me to do this? By debt here, I mean loans and judgments, not investments like a mortgage, which is considered an asset by most standards. Well, let's consider the whole of Scripture. Make the choices you need to make to get out of debt as fast as you can. For Proverbs 22, 7 tells us in wisdom, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower is slave to the lender. And Romans 13, 8 encourages us not to owe anything to anyone. It is a bad thing, can be a bad thing to have great debt. So for you who find yourself in this situation, no or very little eating out and no overpriced coffee. Put that money toward your debts. Eat at home. No extra TV movies or streaming services. No unnecessary hardware accessories for your computer. No paid podcast subscriptions. No impulse buying. No leisurely weekend frills to festivals or plays that are not free, for there are plenty of free ones all over Chicagoland in the suburbs. Enjoy your delayed gratification as you get out of debt. Humble your spending before the Lord. If you need help with needs while doing so, lower yourself to ask without fear of being shamed. Even if you unfortunately are used to believing family members who have to shame you before helping you, Know that our benevolence ministry does not operate out of shame. It operates out of love. As you get your debt into manageable range, set aside budget for benevolence. But, but Pastor Eric, I thought you said this was not about budgeting. Well, yeah, you're right. I did say that. But by budgeting, you will learn not to miss that part of your income and you will know that you can live without it. Then, 
When someone calls for special benevolence of the relief giving type, like in this passage, you will have no reason to be hesitant to give. You will know that you won't miss the money. I have never missed the money I've given to church, ministry causes, relief causes, or to help out family members. And many of you would say exactly the same. The Macedonians gave themselves to the Lord and to Paul and the members of his team. They were loyal to Paul and his team members in their commitment to the work of the gospel. They were not giving blind loyalty to Paul or funding to pad the pockets of the members of Paul's team. Paul had shown integrity and faithfulness toward the Lord so they could give toward people that Paul identified as needy. One concern we each face with compassionate giving is that there is always another cause for which to give, even if it is special giving to relieve the poverty of fellow suffering believers. There are churches in whatever country you called home before you moved to the States and or where some of your extended family members still reside. There are churches attacked by warlords or radical Islam or a supremacist who burns down houses of worship because he hates people of color worshiping inside. How do we know when and how to give and to which causes to give? This is where giving oneself over to leaders in a healthy church makes all the difference. If the leaders are trustworthy like Paul and the members of his team, when they, when we call, you can determine if it is a time of sacrifice and hopefully you will be able to say yes because of your trust in their judgment. But again, taking everything into consideration. This assumes you are getting all of your finances in order. You might be in a family controversy or be in a situation where you need to help extended family members. Or you might have a fine or a levy or a garnishment that makes such sacrificing unwise. For you cannot tell Uncle Sam or your local municipality. No, I'm not giving to you right now the same way you can tell 7-Eleven, Starbucks, and McDonald's, no, I'm not giving to you right now. Excelling in relief giving extends from joy in the gospel. Excelling in relief giving goes beyond ordinary means, emotion, and dedication. Excelling in relief giving also seeks to be faithful and spiritual. Listen again to verses six and seven. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he has started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, 
in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. You hear grace excel, grace excel. In 1 Corinthians 16, Paul commanded the believers to set aside a collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem. Seemingly, the collection had not been completed when Titus was last present. So with this visit, Titus is to finish collecting from them what they should have completed. It was a call to be faithful. It was a call to match good intentions and promises with real acts of giving. Titus's coming was to be accompanied by an excelling in relief giving that sought to be spiritual. The faith, speech, knowledge in this passage refer to the spiritual gifts of the Corinthians. The Corinthian church was full of these gifts and they were powerful in their use, especially once they submitted their usage to love, as Paul had called them to do in 1 Corinthians 13 and 14. They also had earnestness or zeal for the things of God. And they excelled in the love of the apostles as exemplified in the Corinthians' lives, which, by the way, is the best way to explain the problem of the textual variance in the manuscripts for this verse, of which many of you have a footnote on in your version. These all are things that are spiritual in nature and refer to spiritual practices or disciplines. So to Corinth, in effect, Paul says, you excel in all other spiritual areas, showing maturity in your walk with God. It is also spiritual to excel in the way you give to provide relief to our sisters and brothers when they are experiencing post-calamity financial hardship. On a recent open line broadcast on Moody Radio, Pastor Chris Costaldo, a friend of Calvary Memorial Church, who serves as pastor of a church in Naperville, called Naperville the Achievatron. The Achievatron. He said, Naperville is where you begin preparing for the SATs at age six. Oak Park and River Forest are no different. All of you here from Stritch and Pritzker, or maybe from the university with the other Pritzker, Feinberg, and Kellogg schools, and all of the rest of you who want your children in top Christian schools or top public high school, you excel. You excel in your mortgage payments and your property taxes in order to make that excelling happen for your children. You also looked for a church that would complement an over-the-top life. Not just a church that preaches the gospel and has loving people, for there are many of those, but that is also deeply theologically challenging, intellectually satisfying, and comes with bells and whistles of many ministry amenities. 
come on, let's just, let's just be honest here. I look for the same, that's how I know that you also look for that. We didn't just land here one morning without doing some research. We said, hmm, that goes with everything else that we are trying to excel at. We who seek to excel in everything else in life, therefore, cannot stop short in this area of life when we are making a quest to excel in all things and help our children do the same. Instead, we have to rely on the Spirit of God to help us excel in giving to relieve the suffering of fellow saints when those opportunities present themselves. We also need to consider the, the recipients. Could you imagine the Jerusalem saints struggling to survive financially and materially, having no ability to gain any help. Then comes Paul with gifts from the believers in the Grecian regions, people as impoverished as them or even greater. Relief, joy, thanksgiving at the power of God would overwhelm the believers in Jerusalem. Someone might even start to shout. God forbid someone would break out in a dance. For all eternity, the one who gave and the one who received would rejoice together in the grace of God in Christ that brought them together. Both would give glory to God forever and ever for his grace. As I was working on this message, I struggled with the practical nature of this passage. Even though I have lived most of my adult life wholly dependent on the giving of others. Before I came here to teach downtown, I taught for years at a smaller, financially struggling Christian school. We went periods without pay or with greatly delayed pay. What a joy it was when other saints gave to help us. It was always best when others heard of the need and just gave so that I and, and my colleagues didn't feel that we had to go begging, that we were able to retain our, our dignity as those working as hard as the next person, but found ourselves in an industry and with a calling in which making ends meet was challenging. Thank the Lord for saints who gave just because of a mutual love for Christ, just because of our partnership in the gospel. Paul is helping the Corinthians to see what he already knew. The one coming to collect is not really Titus, ultimately. The one coming to collect is our Lord Jesus. For this passage is not about the grace of Titus toward the Macedonians. It is about the grace of Christ toward the Macedonians, the Corinthians, all believers everywhere, including us. Jesus is the one asking through Paul and through our church leaders when there is an opportunity for us to give to relieve fellow saints. See, Jesus is the one 
who gives because of the joy set before him. Jesus did not give his life begrudgingly for our salvation. Jesus, Hebrews says, looked against the cross and saw joy and determined, I am going to die shamefully for them on the cross because there is so much joy in it for me. I am going to undergo mocking and humiliation, rejection and wrath because there is some jumping up and down with everlasting excitement ahead of me as I do. He could see that you and I would love God's face because he would go to the cross. Jesus is the one who goes beyond ordinary means, emotions, and dedication, coming down from glory to rescue us. Could have involved a different plan to satisfy the wrath of God, one that did not require crucifixion and one certainly that did not require his own not receiving him, Judas betraying him and people falsely accusing him. His death could have come without him endearing himself to his disciples and praying for all of us. But he gave himself over to the Father first and then on behalf of us. He gave himself as the completely just one for the unjust. He gave himself for us out of love. Jesus is the one, both faithful and spiritual, in doing so. He gives every day to provide for his own, for us, completing the work of salvation that he has begun in us. He pours out upon us grace upon grace and grace upon grace. And just when we think he has poured out all grace, he pours out more grace and more grace and more grace and more grace. Jesus didn't have a hard time trying to give away grace that is greater than $20 billion, grace that is greater than all of our sins. Jesus could see the relief we needed, and he excelled in the way that he gave it to us. And Jesus kindly invites us to share in the joy of relieving saints in need with him so that we can experience the joy he has in relieving us. Father, we thank you for the goodness and joy we have in Christ. God, we want to see billions of people around the world sharing that, that joy. And you have made us stewards over funds to make that, that happen. Not just our, our giving here and regular to Calvary, but sometimes, there will be sometimes, God, after great catastrophes and tragedies or where the church is persecuted, that you will ask us to make greater sacrifices, God, for the sake of the gospel. Because, God, we want to see many, many, many billions around your throne, shouting with joy at the mercy of God in Christ toward them. And we will rejoice that you have given grace to use us. Bless now those with the deepest financial need here to show them that you are also a rescuer financially.
because you own it all. A cattle on thousands of hills belong to you. All the silver and gold is yours. God, would you provide for your saints in a great way and bless them. Give us your joy this day and we give you thanks. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.